Welcome to episode three of Ed's Not Dead. We are back, and we are back to school. I'm Robbie Dodd, and I'm with my partners, Casey Siddons. I'm sitting right here. Hey, Mr. Siddons. Mr. Crabes. Hey, Crable. What's going on? It's good to see you guys. It's good to be back. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and for all the feedback you've given us on the show. We thank you, and we encourage you to spread the word about Ed's Not Dead. We're excited, fellas, to be resuming our first season after a little hiatus to rest up before the school year begins. As always, you can contact me at, at RWDod on Twitter. Casey? At CH Siddons. Peter? And Peter Crable. Thank you, Peter. I forgot about you first. <laughs> you can't forget about him. All right. So I don't know about you all in the mid-Atlantic region where we are. I walked out this morning and there was chill in the air. There were the the leaves are looking tired. It is definitely back to school time. Dare I say autumn? Autumn. Almost there. Mr. Crable, have you done your fantasy football draft? Yeah, I've done one and I have another one tomorrow night. Just a good use of my time. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Who was your first? Who'd you pick first in your in your first draft? Oh, making me uncomfortable. Uh, Mike Evans. Mike Evans, that's a good pick. Yeah, he's good at football. Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah, I picked uh, Brett Favre for my first pick. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Aaron Rodgers. No, 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 no. No, Brett Favre. No, my second pick was Aaron Rodgers' mustache, the okay. new one. That, yeah, that's a good one. That's good. Yeah, okay. We've got a great show today, guys. Uh, it's our back-to-school special. Uh, in honor of the role that teachers play, we're excited to have our first interview with a second-year teacher. Mr. Siddons, you worked with Matt Baldassano last year, so I know you're psyched about having him uh, on the show. sure am. Uh, we're going to learn a lot from Matt about how he survived and thrived in his first year and what he's looking forward to in his second year. And then back to school also means it's time for principals to start supporting and giving teachers feedback and helping them in their professions. And there's, there was a recent piece by Jay Matthews, the esteemed ed writer in the Washington Post, about how principals don't always do that job the way they're supposed to. Uh-oh. 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 That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going we're gonna to read what Jay has to say about that. and Maybe gonna, he'll tweet us. Yeah. I, you know what? I couldn't find him on Twitter. I don't think he is on Twitter, but we can email him. Okay. My friend emails him. Okay. So that's your job to... to to turn Mr. Matthews on to Ed's I'll, Not Dead. I'll, I'll put it on my to-do list. Okay. <laughs> um, and then quiz show at the end, Mr. Sins. I have it ready to go. All right. So let's get into our summer recess questions. I've got a few questions for you, boys. You didn't know anything about Six Flags or Wonder Woman in our second episode. You, nope. had, you had been to no amusement park. So let me hear about... Still don't. We are not amused. Okay. Uh, August, what did you do? Family gatherings, block parties? Who wants to take a stab at sharing what the rest of your summer was like. Yeah, I had a nice trip to the beach with the family. Um, lots of swimming, sun, kids throwing themselves headfirst into the ocean, the pool, any body of water where there might or might not be crocodiles was pretty much fair game for them. That's any, how any, you teach kids to swim, I heard. It is, yeah. it is. Any car sickness on the no, long drive? Uh, no, I don't think so. No? No. Okay, Yeah. good. North Carolina? North Carolina. Water I, was beautiful. Beautiful, warm. I have two boys, so we dug uh, some ho- giant holes in the sand As you because Good. You, you have a shovel. Did they bury you? Your sand? Uh, absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. With your former, with your swimming in your background, some good body surfing, Mr. Crapes? The best body surfing. <laughs> I was not. actually thinking about it as I was body surfing, and I was like, if there was a world championship of body surfing, be good. I'd be ranked in the top 500. 
do you do the, do, yeah. do you do the arm out claim. in front of you like this? Uh, I do not. Okay, no, I do the two. No, I do the two. Two arms out two in front of me. Of course. Okay. Yeah. All right. All yeah. Right. I'm, like, I'm like a rocket man. Yeah. Very nice, Mr. Sids. What'd you do? I traveled to the uh, Deutschland. The Deutschland. I told you earlier, <laughs> Deutschland. Uh, I flew into Prague and then I we drove up to Berlin. Uh, stopped at a bunch of places along the way. Berlin's one of my favorite cities to visit. I visited an old friend that I met in Germany the last time I went. Um, she actually, the last time I saw her, she was actually visiting us in D.C., and so it was good to see her. And um, you went with a couple American teachers, right? No, no American teachers. No? I, I, I disguised myself as a Canadian because I was oh. with three Canadian teachers. Oh, look at that, yeah. One from Saskatoon, one from Moose Jaw <laughs> in Saskatchewan, and the other is of from course. Regina. Really? Yep. Okay. Three. Did you guys drink Molson when you were we there? Didn't drink, we oh. drank no Molson. But this is no. just shattering. Did you disguise stereotypes. yourself because yep. of the current political climate in the United States? Is that why you felt the need to blend in? And, I can and... neither confirm nor deny, but I did wear my Canadian flag pin every single day. <laughs> okay, that's good. All right. Yeah. Well, you sounds like you took that seriously. It was awesome. All right. Um, back to school outfits. Do you have those yet? Uh, let's see. I bought some pants. Why does that question catch you off guard? <laughs> you need to go out and get yourself. Got to look at each other. No, I bought pants in May. Okay, and right. put them in a drawer and they're plastic. And I'm thinking about wearing them at some point in the next couple of days. Will yeah, you wear good. a tie on the first day, Mister Crow? Yes, I will wear a tie. Okay, good. Only on the first day, though. He yes. is. I know. He's. He does not love ties. One one button open, a little loose, just. You know, that's good. A modern day fonts. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, fresh haircuts, Mr. <laughs> yes, I'm going for the fresh haircut because, you know, of all the hair that I have. Does your better so. half, does she shave your head? Or no, do you, she doesn't. She does that not is do that. absolutely none of your business. Okay. So. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Mr. Siddons, but your better half has a new blog. I want you to plug that. She does. It's called Sisters with Good Taste. And it's the website is sisterswithgoodtaste.com. It's a great new blog for. Cooking home cooked meals that are both nutrition cool. uh, nutritious, and they put a good story in there to bring in some family family stories in about their childhood and, and things like that. So sisters with good taste, check it out. They're on Instagram. They're on um, the URLs, the internet, the interwebs. Yeah, um, are, are definitely we? worth a try. Okay, and two other announcements: we are on Facebook now. We are on Facebook. Check okay. us out. Friend us. Connect right. with us. Okay. Check out our page. And uh, I don't even know what the other announcement is. Uh, what do you mean? You don't know what the other announcement is? We're going. To, we're, we're going to tease that we are oh, going to tease. Yeah, we're going to be that's unveiling right. a new segment, uh, but we're not going to tell what the, tell what that's all about until later in the show. So stay okay. tuned because we think it's really going to add some spice to Ed's Not Dead. Not sure that we, will. Not that we need any more. <laughs> no. Um, no. So we'll we'll t- we'll talk about that uh, later in the show. But first. Let's get started with our back-to-school special. I know that you saw the recent article by Jay Matthews in the Washington Post. Sure did. Thank you for sending that. Yes. um, It involved principles. I'm surprised you wanted to cover it in the show. (laughs) I don't think I have much lateral in terms of what is featured. (laughs) Give me a break. I need to have some pity. The title of the piece by Matthews is Why Principles Lie to Ineffective Teachers – Honesty takes too long. So I'm just going to take a second and read a couple of excerpts from the article to you guys that really jumped out at me. Uh, Matthew says, two new studies reveal principals still trying to make nearly all teachers happy. Interviewers by researchers and by Education Week reporter Leanna Lois reveal a troubling reason principals are not telling subpar teachers they need to get better. You ready? What's the kicker here? It takes too much time. Mm. So when I saw that, I... 
I didn't really quite know what to make of that, so I had to put some some thought into it. Uh, a couple of these studies compared the way teachers were evaluated versus what principals said in conf- confidential surveys. So, for example, in Miami-Dade County, 100 principals uh, took surveys, and the teachers who were scored very ineffective on the confidential assessment were on average deemed effective on the reports the principals filed with their school districts. Crazy. Yeah. So it's a little bit unsettling and disturbing. So my question to you guys is why don't principals accurately evaluate struggling teachers? Well, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. I do. I think it's time. Um, you know, and as the article said, and pretty much every principal said to deal, it's not the right word, but to coach and, or, um, you know, evaluate out struggling teachers, it, it's, it is time consuming, but I think a corollary point to that is just being spineless. Um, wow. That is, yeah. that is a strong word. Well, you, you know, so this is, this is my viewpoint on it is everybody complains, you know, in some degree about their job. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. I mean, I'm not even talking about education here. I'm talking right. everybody, but I, you know, I get, a, a feeling when teachers complain about things that I'm like, well, this is your job. Yeah. This is the job. Yeah. And I sort of feel that way for principals. Well, guess what? This is your job. The most important thing that you do is decide who is or is not in your building and work to improve the capacity of those that are, that are there. So you're, you're in that role in some way, Robbie, you've been in that role. So in, to what extent are you a building manager? You're a middle manager or are you an instructional leader? Do you consider yourself an instructional leader? That's what we can. That's what we say. Principals are that they're instructional leaders, right? Yeah. But I mean, how much impact do you have on day to day instruction or, or a teacher's growth compared to, let's say, a department chair or a staff development teacher or some someone like that who has closer connection to a classroom? You're asking me that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it varies. Uh, I think. Um, Certainly, school types are very different. Uh, elementary principals, and I was an elementary principal, um, the, the organization is flatter. They work shoulder to shoulder more right. frequently with teachers. It's smaller. It's smaller, typically. Um, and so they spend a lot of time in classrooms, uh, most elementary principals. Right. Um, so, but I think you're getting to a bigger point, though. I mean, I know that that charter schools and some other uh, school kind of configurations have tried to create positions uh, that are management positions that take fiscal responsibility, right. management responsibility, facilities responsibility out of the, the the purview of principals, so that they can be a quote unquote instructional leader. And I'm, I'm I don't know if that's the answer. I mean, if if um, it, it would not seem to be if the problem is what Crable has said, which is that it's this internal core values kind of motivation uh, where the locus of control is internal with principles. So if, if, if those things are taken off their plate, if they still don't have the motivation to do it or they're still, to use his phrase or his <laughs> word, spineless, uh, that's not going to help necessarily. Because yeah. so- I think, to your point, Peter, where the spinelessness comes from 
is uh, what an old superintendent, Dr. Weiss, used to call the, the, the fear of courageous conversations. Um, none of us like confrontation. None of us like those conversations where you have to be brutally honest about right. someone who's struggling right. or having a hard time. And I, I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not sure taking those management things, Casey, off their plate encourages them to have the oomph to do those courageous conversations. So what, what would you say were the three top things that you did every day? That had nothing to do with instruction. Uh, read email. Okay. Uh, that would be number one. This is a tough one. Uh, mm. Number two would be the high urgency, low importance kinds of things of things that were due, uh, problems in the building, student behavior, uh, all the things that affect teachers in the classroom. The teachers yeah. spend time on that takes them away from teaching. It's it's it's. All that other stuff, um, right. I wouldn't put parents on that on that list. I didn't have th- those kinds of parental demands that kept me away from instructional leadership. But honestly, any time of the day, if I really wanted to or had the motivation, I could I I could go and visit classrooms and do informal informal observations if I wanted to. It was really to your point, Peter. It was incumbent upon me to make the decision to do it. Sorry. And, and I, the, other, the other piece of that is, so Valerie Strauss wrote for, a few years ago, four years ago, she cited studies that there was a correlation between t- principals who spent less time in classrooms where there were more effective teachers or there are more effective outcomes. And there's, there are, there's research that would say that there is a correlation between um, principals who spend more time in classrooms and there are less effective outcomes. Yeah. That, that, that one totally caught me off guard. Let me, let me, so the, I the, can, the, I can the more quote, the, if you want to quote, you want to quote. So the gist of it is the more time that principals spend in classrooms, the lower the outcomes are. Okay. Well, show me that research study. <laughs> I, I, have, I, I, I cited it in our notes. Val- you Valerie Strauss. You didn't, is, read, is you it, didn't it, read our, read my notes though. You didn't value my, my time. Uh, there they are. You put, your cha- right you, put, you put your chart in before my notes. I've, ne- fine. Fine. I've never heard of such a thing. Have you, Mr. Crable? I mean, I saw that, um, and I have seen snippets of that before, and I've not done, you know, the hard work of actually reading the research paper. Well, you don't need to read research to know <laughs> it, to cite it. But what I would say is, um, you know, I mean, my God, how many variables could there be in that? Because, like you said, in, in an elementary school where you don't have the three layers of bureaucracy between teachers and a principal, yeah. then if a principal's not getting into a classroom, then who is? I, well, I, and I want to push just push a little further on that sure. because when I, in my conversations over the years with teachers across across our district, there's often this this connection between, like when they ask about that principal, like if I say, if I ask a teacher, you know, how's so-and-so that principal? They, you know, they will usually, the first thing they'll mention is, well, they've actually never been in my room or they were in my room once last year but does that mean that they correlate or a lot of people will say well that means that that principle is x ineffective in- ineffective or hands-off mm-hmm. and you know they that per- those particular teachers would say that i'm not being supported by my principal but in reality you know oftentimes maybe Maybe teachers were not getting the feedback from the principal, but they were getting it from me, at least in our experience. Right, and that's that's the one thing that I would say, um, you know, being newer kind of to the administrative world and only a couple years in is, you know, I don't think I truly understood everybody's role as a teacher right. and the role that different people played. So, 
in I mean I'm thinking of let's say a large high school right. with 2500 students and 200 teachers. Right. I mean, yeah, that's not realistic. And so in those cases I think teachers may view it that way or individuals in general may view it that way, but that's just not the case. I mean, the principal in many cases, has their hands in everything. No, I under, I'm not. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, I'm not denouncing I'm just, that. Certainly, sure. I mean, it's a power of numbers at that point, right? Um, but I, I, what I was get, I think the point is that the perception is that, that the perception is there, and maybe that really just speaks to the desire for you know people to have connections with other people right. with with you know supervisors, right. just to say you know a little bit about me right. um, as a person, right? You know, and that is in education that's typically reflected in classroom visits to actually see what's going on right and 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 listen casey i didn't mean to totally dismiss valerie strauss's take on that or whatever research she was citing principals do a lot of other really important things absolutely I mean, there's a lot of yeah. research that says that that oftentimes the legitimacy or the culture or the climate um the kind of public perception of a school is most dependent on the principal um so those are important things that a principal does that aren't necessarily related to their hands-on involvement um, with the instructional program or at least observing and analyzing teachers. But I, I do think, back to Crable's point, that at the end of the day, when you have struggling teachers, uh, the role of either supporting them or removing them is the principal's responsibility. Yeah, it is. And, and, and if you don't do that and you have a number of struggling teachers in a school, that's going to affect the bottom line, right. which is student outcomes. So somebody has to do that. Right. And, and I will say, and I don't know if it's walking back, but it's not, it's not a good feeling and nobody wants to get somebody fired or take somebody's livelihood away. And so I think, you know, when principals do evaluate underperforming teachers, knowing that the outcome is most likely could be termination. I mean, that's, that's difficult. Yeah. That's a really difficult step to take. And so maybe that's not spineless, like I said. Um, yeah, I don't know what the correct term would be, but it, that is a difficult, I mean, it's a real part of the job, but it's a real difficult part of the job. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, John Hanushak from Stanford showed uh, in, in research that if you replaced the bottom 5% of teachers, the impact on student outcomes is significant. Yeah. So um, and 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 he actually did it in comparison to merit pay and how um, removing teachers that struggle consistently that that are a drain on student uh, student student outcomes is is a much more effective way to improve outcomes than it is to pay some teachers more. Right. Um, and we know you know merit pay might be a whole other segment. The the not to get too wonky on this, but um, have you guys ever heard of of John Meyer? From, from Stanford? No, no. Well, basically what Meyer says, um, he, he came up with this theory called new institutionalism. And, and what he basically kind of posited was that schools are not inherently rational organizations. <laughs> that if they were rational, uh, struggling teachers, ineffective teachers would be replaced. You'd find new ways to create better outcomes. Um, but that schools really don't seek rationality, they seek legitimacy. And uh, legitimacy is just what, uh, uh, what we identify as what a school should be. Okay. Um, so really, you, you could, a principal could actually devalue the legitimacy of a school if they do do that work. Right. 
if they do get into teachers' classrooms, um, because then they're showing what's not working, what's not right. Uh, so honestly, this kind of close inspection of instruction by principals has always been a thing that's been talked about. Um, it, w- we act like it should happen, but do we really want it to happen? And that's kind of what Meyer suggests, uh, that if we really cared about being rational and trying to improve outcomes all the time, that that would be something that we, we would just take for granted. Do you, do you think that positions like the department chair, the, the staff development teacher, those kind of those kind of observational, non-evaluative positions, do you think they, they hold more weight in some ways well, for, for teachers in terms of their own growth, their own development? I, th- I think they're impactful. I mean, I was talking to Crable earlier about the RAND study on value-added measures. I know that you love those, Casey. That's what I trolled you on. on <laughs> you Twitter, did. I remember, remember it. Yeah, I'm scarred. Well, you were very sensitive about I wake up v- at night VAM. thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, the MET study showed that third-party observers, teacher observers, do have uh, an impact on improving instruction and and evaluating teachers. Um, So I think there's definitely a place for that. Right. Um, But I I think this is one of those topics that we can always – it's always a good one to talk about because um, teacher evaluation is – is, is not an easy thing to do. I think both from an internal standpoint as a principle of having the kind of core values and disposition to do it, right. um, uh, along with all of the external pressures and what, re- and what schools, again, are really set up to do. You know, and one of the things so that I saw in the article was, or maybe it was actually a different article, um, so in districts that use binary ratings, so this is where teachers are either rated as effective meet standard or doesn't so there's only one of two yeah. possibilities yeah. 99 more than 99 percent of teachers were rated satisfactory oh, yeah. it's always above 80 yeah yeah and in, well i mean this is more than 99 yeah and in districts uh using a broader range of ratings 94 percent re- received one of the top two ratings and less than one percent received an unsatisfactory rating okay. so at the time arnie duncan was um the secretary of education and as he so aptly pointed out, today in our country, 99% of our teachers are above average. <laughs> so that brings me to the point of, all right, so let's just say the 1%, because even these measures say there's a one, there is a 1% of very poorly performing sure. teachers. It's everything above the, it's everything above that, and I'll just just to pick a percentile, the, the sort of bottom 15 or 20% where maybe... Yeah, they're not the worst teachers in the world. It's the mediocrity. It's just, it's just not great, and right. that's where I really struggle. Because you're like, well, you know, does this person really deserve to be evaluated out? I don't know. Right. It's not so horrible, and so that's where I think also, um, you know, aside from the time that was pointed in the article, I think that's um, a lot of where this comes from too. Is that it's just very difficult to justify to oneself getting rid of a mediocre or slightly below average teacher. And um, that's why a lot of districts have resorted to the checklist, the scales, the the numbers, the numerical scores, because it's easier to assign a numerical score to someone or something than it is to actually have qualitative data to support whether or not this teacher is effective. So for like when, when I'm doing observations, I'm doing, 
I'm doing qualitative data. I'm taking down. I'm not ch- checking off boxes. I would argue that qualitative data is squishy, and that it's actually easier to capture than really good quantitative data on the impact. I'm not. I'm not saying it's not easier. I'm just saying okay. that they that districts, due to cost and time, right, uh, have I've, resorted to that. Have streamlined their processes, right? And right. then it, and it, it comes to a point where that kind of rating system makes you feel like a number. Right. It makes you. I would say, as a person, I would not feel comfortable with it because. A lot of people are going to resort to the fives out of fives, and it's like, well, it's yeah. just easier to do that. So I do believe that the the qualitative approach that we're talking about, that we use, it, although it's complex, and the processes by which you observe teachers is complex and time-consuming, it reflects the complexities of the job. So let me ask you a question, Robbie, and take a stand here. So what... Take what a stand. Well, just spine. Get a spine. I'm, Get a spine. I'm, I'm a spineless principal. <laughs> Go ahead. So what do you think is the number one reason... Um, for teachers being rated as satisfactory in the vast overwhelming um, percentage of the time? Um, I honestly think that uh, not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think it has to do with the two things that we've talked about tonight. I don't think it's, I don't think it's attributable to, to the tool. That teachers use, that principals use, right? I, that whether it's a a, a value added measure, a checklist, uh, an in depth, long form, qualitative process, I don't think it's those things. I think it's um, the way that principals are developed to be able to be equipped to have those kinds of conversations, to understand, to be able to observe and analyze teaching in a way that they are confident enough to have those conversations. Um, but the, the other, the other point is, is that I think it comes back to Meyer's work on what he called loose coupling, which is that, uh, principals have to make an effort to tightly couple themselves to the instructional program. It has to be a priority. Um, Crable, did I answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if, if, if we, you didn't give me the nice, like really succinct one word answer that I was looking <laughs> yeah, for, like I'm not, time. I'm not known. For I know, for, I know. For my succinctness. But I do want to, to your point, I wanted to read you my, our, our guy, John Hanushek again, yes. Hanushek and Rifkin in 2010. Um, Crable, you brought up a very good point, which is that prior evidence and trans. Oh no, sorry. Um, that was a bad, that was not a good quote. Was that bad? Well, I mean, I mean, if that was the, the quote, ex- the, it wasn't complete. The extent to which principals can distinguish less effective and more effective teachers and are willing to act on that knowledge constitutes a crucial determinant of the benefits of account- accountability-induced changes. Uh, Jacob and Lefgren showed that principals in a mid-sized school district somewhere in the Western United States can effectively identify teachers at the expre- extremes of the productivity distribution. That's that's what I said. Right. <laughs> I know. And so that's... That. But also, they said, in willing to do something about yeah. it. Okay. And that's... that's there's so, the spine. And, well, and would the, you... So, on that sense, are you? would you say that there are a lot more teachers who are mediocre? Mediocre? Or they're, like, just... Because you said there's the bottom chunk would be ineffective, the small percent percentage, but is there are there maybe more than we like to admit that are just mediocre? I think it's just easier, and like he's, like the quote or whatever said, it's just it's right away you're like amazing, you know, or wow, that's really bad. Yes, 
Yeah. You know, it's I mean, very you see that, Casey, when yeah. you walk, when when you when you observe teaching, Medi- right? mediocrity in the classroom yeah. is and much harder to identify yes. and confront. To confront, yes, and you know, day to day, it could change, and Correct. you know, the millions of other variables, and um, I think that's you know that's the real crux of the issue is to say what is you know, and every individual principal or administrator, I think, has a slightly different threshold for what level of mediocrity they're willing to put up with right. sure. and, and, and so, how they're willing to deal with and it. And so right. let's switch the context because I think all three of us come from a situation or come from a perspective where we've worked in impacted schools where the 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 pressure or the it was it was an, a very big priority to improve teaching to improve student outcomes. But what if you are in a school where the outcomes are great? Yeah, yeah. Um, how much pressure or or, or um, motivation does a principal feel to address mediocre teaching in schools like that? If, if your kids are achieving a ninety-eight percent proficiency, right. you know those kids, and I think that that pressure is it, it can be equal to the pressure that you're feeling when a lot of kids aren't achieving because no. you know those sixteen, those eighteen, those hundred kids. By name, so I, I I've never been in that experience, but it would be I don't know. It's All right. interesting. So let's give Hanushek and Rifkin the last word on this. Uh, the willingness to use such information remains a largely unanswered question. So I think that's what I'm not sure that Jay Matthews is right that it takes too much time. I think we've we've shown tonight that there are other things that that come into play here. Right. But we will we will undoubtedly come back to the. To the principles of principal evaluation for teachers process. All right, so all three of us have been first year teachers and experienced the anxiety and uh, dread and excitement of this time of year. There's nothing quite like it. When I was thinking about being a first year teacher, the only thing I could really relate it to is the first time I got up in front of. 358th graders at a town hall meeting and had to get them quiet. Which so, I'm sure was pleasant. <laughs> yeah, you just raised your hand, right? And yeah, they all stopped talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, two, three eyes on me. Yep. Yeah. So uh, there's nothing like quite like being a first-year teacher. So today we are going to be talking to Matt Baldassano, who's a first-year, who's actually entering his second year of teaching. Correct. Sorry. Yep. Um, so we're excited to talk about Matt. And uh, Case, you want to give us any background, any more background on that? Well, well uh, he was just, I worked with him very closely last year. He's an excellent teacher, very effective. Um, like I said earlier, he's one of those teachers you walk into their classroom and you just get a really positive vibe out of it. And um, it, it was a pleasure working with him last year. And, and he's actually been promoted. He's, an, he's a team leader this year. He's on the leadership team in his second year of teaching. So he's got a lot on his plate. So he's, he's carved out some time for us he's, tonight. He's following in his mentor, Mr. Siddons footsteps. Uh, well, taking know. on more than he probably should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Got to fill up that time uh, with yeah. anything you can. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, we're going to be interviewing, as we said earlier, Matt Baldassano. He's a social studies teacher at Newport mill middle school in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, uh, Matt, how you doing? Doing great. Um, so, we have a lot of questions for you. Uh, I, the reason why I asked you to be on the show was because basically what I saw from your practice last year was um, almost like that natural ability to connect with kids and have. A, and I feel like you had a really successful year overall um, as a first year teacher. We know it's 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 incredibly challenging that first year and the first few years really. Um, so in terms of Think, thinking back to your teacher prep times, or, or at least in terms of your 
your um, college level work and your practicum. What in what ways did you find that your teacher prep program prepared you for the first year of teaching? Um, absolutely. So I would definitely say the final year was the most beneficial by far. Um, just the student teaching, actually, you know, being in the schools. Um, both of my mentors, both at the middle school level and the high school, uh, did not give me access to the curriculum. So they challenged me with, hey, this is what I did last year. Make it better. Um, I need you to come up with new, to invent every single day, invent a new lesson. Um, and that was really at the high school. In the middle school, he had never taught it before. Um, he never taught eighth grade before. He always taught seventh. So me and him every day were creating new lessons together, and that really helped me because now I, I really had to practice being more creative uh, and innovative and really seeking to um, work on all the Bloom's taxonomy and my uh, objectives and seeking to raise the bar and keep high expectations for our students. Um, so when I sat there and working with curriculum finally as a teacher, I have an idea of my head of like where I want to take this and how I could make it better slash make it my own. So, so as looking back at your year as a whole, um, is there anything that you feel like was left out of your, your prep program or things that maybe could have been improved to maybe have supported you in a, in a more robust manner? And one of the reasons why we're interested in this, Matt, is earlier in the summer, uh, we did a, a big segment on teacher hiring, and we kind of got off track and ended up talking a little bit about uh, teacher prep. So we are curious about how um, how prep programs play into the success of a teacher in their first year. Absolutely. Um, I would say there are two main things that definitely could have um, improved in my, my university undergrad um, time. Having a whole class that's just dedicated to classroom management and trying to be flexible would be really important. Um, there was that that did not have, I did not have that. Um, I know that they tried to like throw that in there in every class a little bit, but some professors seem to shy away from talking about classroom management. Some are just like, there's no reason for me to try to teach you because you're not going to be able to figure it out until you're there. Mm. Like the kids basically <laughs> have to teach you out of the That's, that's, fairly good advice. Yeah. So, so kind of connected to that then. There, there, there is enough. There's a lot of research that would say that having an effective lesson plan is the first plan for classroom management. So, can you speak to that a little bit in terms of of how it prepared you or didn't? Oh, absolutely. I would definitely say that um, my undergrad prepared me to to make lessons. However, it wasn't um, the at the university level was not rigorous enough or not often enough. For example, I think I took a class and I only had to make four lessons in the three months that I was there. So wow. I literally could take like, I don't know, two whole weeks to make one lesson. <laughs> and even then, it was like an outline and I didn't even have to create all the materials for it. And I didn't have to create a slideshow for it or a PowerPoint. Right. I just kind of said, this is a time, general timeline of what I would do. Um, and I think having more practice at more, you know, weekly, you know, just 
just more rigorous practice in the classroom and in the, you know, confines of your fellow classmates without having someone's learning on the line would definitely help prepare me for that practicum, that, you know, student teaching experience at the final year. That's why I said that final year was really the most beneficial. Like, if I could have just done that and skipped the rest of college, I think I would have been. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it is... It- it is interesting. Sorry to cut you off. It is interesting yeah. as you as you talk about it, um, because professors, I think, by and large, by their nature, are probably more interested in the academic side of teaching, and yet the human side of teaching is so important and is such a major component of, you know, classroom management and forming relationships and all that stuff that. I guess I'd never really thought about it in those terms, but now when you talk about, yeah, there, there's like very little in classroom management and it sounds like, you know, not even the, a huge effort to teach you. It's like, that's a, that's a major missing component of, of how to deal with, um, you know, adolescents of any age, really. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that I would think of is just a class dedicated to classroom logistics, like how to arrange your desk, how to, how to set up all of those small processes and there's so much variation for everything that goes on in the classroom that so much of it is personalized that, you know, it's hard to like walk in, you know, when you're a first brand new teacher, walk through the hallways of your school and try to talk to people and find out what they do and you still have no idea what the heck, you know, you want to do. Um, you're just trying, you're still learning about what's out there. You're like, well, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I have no idea how to make that work. So that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So, so I I know that your work, Matt. This is Robbie with with Casey um, last year as a form of support for you as a mentor teacher. First of all, I I know that you you had good access to Casey's great ideas about classroom routines, considering that Casey's never seen a classroom routine that he doesn't like. <laughs> At, and and his his knowledge he must have hit you with some um fred jones tools for teaching did he oh absolutely yeah (laughs) all right so if you would reflect back on the year matt and think in terms of what kinds of support were most beneficial to you in that first year where did where did you go who did you go to what really helped you uh number one i'd have to say my cooperating teacher casey was the most helpful um, and that's not just because he's on the air right now. <laughs> yeah, you should see what he's doing right uh, now, Matt. He's very excited. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So, uh, first of all, like one of the first times I met him, I was like, hey, I'm like sort of paranoid and have no idea like how to arrange my desks. That just like freaks me out. I don't know what to do. And he showed me several different strategies of setting up desks. You know, I went with that stadium seating style to be able to walk around the entire room with still students facing uh, the front while I was getting uh, more, getting to know them better, being able to um, establish myself as a, as a teacher. So that was super helpful. And um, definitely some of the strategies that he gave me, like compass buddies, and um, he helped me a lot with my pacing. He taught me how to back map. Um, he taught me some different equity strategies. I can't name everything off the top of my head, but there's a lot of things, and it's just an absolute wealth of knowledge. Like, he really had taught um, what I 
was teaching. And so he could really speak to influencing on like, hey, this works well with that lesson. This does not work well with that lesson. Um, he was more, had more expertise than some of the people on my building in that, in that manner, as, and especially being able to like, because he's more focused on me when he was, you know, he's my cooperating teacher. So I got to get all this attention. So, you know, although there were some people in the building who had taught my content very well and for years, you know, just having someone who is not distracted for a first year teacher is super important because, you know, they have so much else going on. Right. They're also trying to get to know you at the same time. So it, it can be very tough. Yeah. So you you knew when he was there to see you and support you that you were you were his total focus at that time. Yep. Yep. Okay. Good, Mr. Krabs. Yeah. So we put out some questions on Twitter to see what the Twitterverse had to say. Um, so one of the questions that we asked was how should new teachers approach building a positive classroom environment, um, and certainly in middle school where you know we've all spent some time. Um, it's extremely important to have that positive classroom environment. So some feedback that we got, and we can kind of get your thoughts on this as well, Matt. So Grace in Philadelphia said, narrate the positive, learn names, be real with the kids, and integrate real-life examples with the addendum that they'll think it's stupid at first, FYI, but to still do it. We also had Kelly in Maryland tell us, I know Kelly. Yeah, we know Kelly. Yeah, we know Kelly. (laughs) Provide students with clarity on your expectations, and remember that great behavior starts with well-planned, rigorous, relevant teaching, which I think we touched on. And then lastly, Francis on Twitter also said, be a positive, supportive teacher. Be fair. Don't judge the kids, as well as checking your biases against gender, culture, and race. So, Matt, what do you think? How should new teachers, as they come into the classroom first year, obviously some learning curves, um, how should they approach building that positive classroom environment? Wow. That's, like, the pinnacle of teaching, like, the crux. Like, if you don't have building a positive relationship with people, they're not going to learn from you, no matter how awesome you are. No, right. Um, So I definitely think that everything that you just mentioned is definitely important, through the lens of a first year teacher, like how do they, how would I, how did I approach this? Uh, my advice to others is find your thing. Like you need to pick one thing and that's gonna be like your thing to help buy in the students. So one thing that I did was I named my current bin the super fancy turnin' bin. Yeah, I was, t- I was telling Robbie and, and Peter about that. Yeah try to get kids excited about it and I had a sign and an arrow that pointed down from the ceiling or from the um, from the wall to where it was and so whenever kids were like where do I turn things in I get really excited instead <laughs> of annoyed that they kept asking me the same question over and over again and I'd point to the super fancy tournament I'd be like it's the super fancy tournament <laughs> <laughs> That's I was funny. Young loud guy, so everyone in the class is like stops what they're doing, and they're like look at me, and then they look where I'm pointing. And so, not only does this kid now know where he's supposed to go, everyone's reminded of where they're supposed to turn things into. I like, and I, I, I like that idea. Fun way I did it. 
Yeah, I like that idea of of a thing and having a thing. So I'm curious, Casey and Robbie, what was your thing when you were in the classroom? I would. So I actually w- wanted to ask just real quick to Matt. I wanted to follow up on this because okay, that's fine. Follow near, up. So Matt, I don't know if you remember when, near the end of your year, we we reflected on the positive your positive classroom environment. We reflected on your teaching. You had the kids do a survey. Would you mind sharing with basically how um, how the students perceived your class and, and some of the things we talked about in terms of being fair and, and judging your and not judging your kids. And- By the way, Matt, before you respond, I just want to thank Casey for not answering Crable's question <laughs> because I started teaching so long ago, I have no idea what my thing was. <laughs> so, now, so now, go ahead. Well, well I asked it because I was like, yeah. oh, man, what was my I, thing? I, I, I was like, yeah, well, I I'm going to ask yeah. them so they don't ask me. <laughs> We're talking circa 1993 here. This is yeah, a long time ago. Okay. I was, I was eight. I was right. eight. Go, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. This is good fun. Um, so, the feedback from my students. Um, overall, uh, they loved my class. Um, many of them, at the time they gave the, the survey, uh, did not know it was only going to be teaching sixth grade the next year. So, they, at the time I was teaching split sixth and seventh, so they're all like, looking forward to having you again next year in seventh grade. <laughs> um was the majority of, of the comments. Um, we did a, uh, we did two big surveys. I did my own, um, which once again, the, the feedback from that was really positive. Um, and there was some really good constructive feedback as well. Um, making my class more super fancy, uh, was, was the number one. Uh, and you know, uh, having it be more alive with posters and stuff. But, um, the first piece of data that we gave out was the, an equity um, Google form survey, and the majority of my classes um, said that I was, you know, fair and um, equal um, with how I tra- treated my student, my you know, my students, and that um, except for one class, which they asked me a lot of questions about me, but I spent less time asking them questions about them. As a result, their feedback was uh, more uh, on the side of, you know, teacher does not take as much time to get to know you. It's more split 50 and 50. That's interesting. Um, So that was really interesting and made me um, just kind of sit back and think, you know, it's, it's great that students ask me questions once they get to know me, but I need to make sure that you know, I try to match like question for question or, you know, take more time to to get to know them. I know it's so hard because there's you have so many kids and there's all the things you have to do. But once again, you know, if you're not building those relationships, you know, it's the things you teach them may not stick. Absolutely. Um, I would say uh, a couple of the things that the students said, just the comments, just wanted to tell you guys. Uh, one of them was, uh, you're the reason I made it through sixth grade. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Um, I had things like, I didn't believe in myself before your class. You're the first person to believe in me. Um, thank you so much for never giving up on me. Um, I hated rural studies before, but now I love it. Nice. So, 
Um, and I have a few comments for sure that were like, hey, remember that time that, you know, you called that one kid out and you made that, like, that was a mistake. Don't, don't do that again. And you got that feedback from kids. That's great. Yeah, I got, I got that feedback from kids. And I just loved it because they knew that I wanted to hear it. They knew right. like, the good and, and the, the constructive, like I said, that was very constructive. I was like, wow, you know, that... Uh, that was an error on my part. You know, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have done that in that that moment. I thought it was fun. I thought it was okay. But you know, getting it from multiple kids, I was like, wow, it's great. And just definitely like as some of the other um, tweets said about being real and admitting your own mistakes. Right. And, you know, ask. You know, even asking our kids if you can be this humble to say, hey guys, I've made this mistake. If you can forgive me for you know how I offended you. Or if I did offend you, I'd appreciate that. But if not, you know, that that's on you. I want you to know I'm going to do my best to, to fix things. Um, to be clear, I, I am sorry that I, I said that comment or that I ignored you in that moment. Right. Um, or, I, or I made you feel like I that you, you didn't know what you were doing. Okay, you know. Kudos to you for for being that authentic and, and, and that open and courageous to take, to taking kids feedback. It's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to take feedback from anyone, especially when you're a new teacher, but you obviously did it and used it to improve. So last question, you ready? Okay. Um, so I was going to, I was going to ask you what still keeps you up at night, uh, as we approach the new school year. Um, and you can tie that in, in your answer if you want, but you're you're about to enter your sophomore year. Uh, I don't know if my partners here experienced this, but I, I do remember way back when I was teaching that I experienced a little bit of a, a sophomore slump. I, I kind of likened it to that I was at the point that I I knew what I didn't know, right? Um, but that didn't necessarily make the job easier or make me better. It was still a very tough job. What are you looking forward to doing new or different or better in your second year as a teacher? All right, that's a really good question. That's why he asked it. <laughs> he only, uh, the, the principal of the group only asked the best questions. <laughs> uh, so, um, all right, so first got to start with, um, I'm because I'm the second year, I'm, I'm going to add a challenge of being a team, sixth grade team leader, um, that I'm also looking forward to working more closely, getting to know my, my principal and my assistant principal and uh, my ASA at my school, um, Ms. Zonas, Ms. Jasper, and um, Mr. Graves. And uh, they've been a great support and kind of um, helping me out in, in this role. And I'm just so thankful that I, I have it this year. Um, definitely. You know, asking them for guidance and just asking questions is a, is a big thing that, you know, new teachers need to know Not they're not alone. Um, right. Just because you've been into your second year doesn't mean that you know, you know, you know, you know anything or you know everything. Um, and you should still be seeking to ask questions and get advice. Um, I'm continuing to uh, work with my, my content specialist, my fellow cohort, um, sixth grade member, Mr. Jackson, uh, and that's one of the things I'm really excited about is, uh, you know, being a more active participant in the planning process because now that I've taught it a year, I have a better understanding of, you know, what it is because that first year, you that one of the most frustrating things is, I know what I'm doing now. <laughs> I, I 
think I know what I'm doing tomorrow. Right. But after that, what comes next? Like, I don't know. Like, just that kind of like, you know, we're on a ship and we're sailing trying to find some island and we have no idea where we're going to find <laughs> That's that, that, that is a good... That, that's that, pretty much teaching sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially when you start. That's a good one, yeah. man. Um, Thanks. Well, listen, um, listen, Matt. Yeah, what well, we just say, thank you so much for your time and sharing some really valuable insights with us. Um, you know, I think a lot of what Casey said in, in the lead up is all true, that you're, you know, a very reflective teacher and... Um, yeah, the profession could use a lot more like you. So thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Great to have you on, man. Have a great second year. And um, hopefully, uh, Ed's not dead. We're going to check in with you at the end of your second year and, and hear how things go. That'd be awesome. Look forward to it. Thank you guys for having me on. All right, buddy. Take care. Have a good weekend. Thank you, too. Bye. All right. Quiz show. Yeah, let's do it. You guys ready? Did you study? Did you take notes? <laughs> I did. Uh, oh, I, yeah, I studied okay. a lot. I actually, let Excellent. me ask you: Did I read anything else you wrote in the outline? I didn't put it in the notes because I knew you, <laughs> a I wouldn't. I knew you wouldn't read it, and b I just kept it secret. Anyway, so I have five questions for you. You ready? Yeah. Does okay. the winner get a trophy here? Yes. Okay. A participation trophy. Because I'm a do. millennial, so you I are. need to give you <laughs> participation trophies, and yes. I thought you'd like that. So number one, uh, this is. Prescient, this is, you know, timely. Uh, approximately how many students, K-12 to and post-secondary, will return to classrooms this fall or this Tuesday for us? I didn't, I didn't listen to the question. As, as nationwide? As usual. Nationwide, how many students, approximately K-12 to and post-secondary, will return to classrooms this fall? Oh my gosh. Does that include private schools from K-12? to Let's just stick. I, I actually have no idea. You're asking a lot of questions. Jeez. <laughs> All Public right, schools. I'll, I'll take a. I'll take. I a, don't know. I'll take a stab. Okay. Uh, uh, Wrong. 50, <laughs> 54 million. Okay, fifty-four million. Uh, Twenty-five million. Seventy-five million. Ooh, that yeah, is a lot of students. Right. A lot of kids. Okay. Not, you did really bad on that one. Number two. Yeah, I was closer. Just which country in. provides the best access? To public education. Oh, that is quite and the loaded access question. To, access to basic education, I should uh, say. The United States. Um, Singapore. Wrong. That would be South Korea. Oh. Ooh. South Korea. Access remember, to remember basic education. Remember when I education. cited South Korea in the, uh, in the McKinsey study? Yeah. yeah. Again, right. I, was, I was closer geographically. That's true. <laughs> okay, that <laughs> yeah. is a stretch. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right. um, but I was more patriotic. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's something. Uh, number three, which country provides the most resources? And, and, and I'm going to give you the example or the, the specific number, 21% of total public expenditures. Which country provides the most resources? Percentage wise, uh, Finland, Grabes. I'm gonna go random Saudi Arabia. Wow, that's a wild <laughs> guess. Um, uh, New Zealand, actually. Oh, okay, New Zealand. All right, there you go. Uh, do you know where running records came from? I don't even know what that is. New Zealand. Okay. You don't know what running records are? I don't know what that Elementary is. Elementary folks out there, please, please, <laughs> please excuse him. Don't tweet. Don't, tweet. <laughs> don't troll me, please. <laughs> troll him. Troll no, him that he God. doesn't know what a running record okay. is. No. Anyway. Uh, and Crable f- doesn't know either. And he's I'm, just being, like- <laughs> I'm just smiling and being quiet over here. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Number four, uh, which university, you can use any university. Uh, in the world? Yeah, in the world. Produces the most billionaires. No, in in the United States. Okay, thank Which you. Which university produces the most billionaires with a B? And 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 it's 
$309 billion. $309 billion worth of billionaires? Yes. There are 35 billionaires. I already know what you're going to say. You do, really? Yes. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Stanford. I was going to say Stanford. <laughs> okay, what do you say? Stanford. <laughs> Harvard. Oh, 35 uh, billionaires. The 35 Harvard. billionaires. The old blood gets it. Yes, it does. I guess Mark Zuckerberg would qualify as he probably Harvard. Did he drop out? Yeah, I don't think he oh, finished, no. did he? Oh. I don't know. I don't think The social finished. network. I was going to oh. say Harvard, but then Robbie got in my head. <laughs> I know, I did get <laughs> yeah, in your head. Yes, you did. And your bro went to Stanford. He did. So I yeah. was looking at you and thinking of Stanford. There you go. Last okay. question, number five. <laughs> that gets to Crables. <laughs> Elite- <laughs> elitism. Remember in episode one with our... <laughs> yeah, man, I'm going to go do crew. <laughs> okay. Um, so what is the lar- where is the largest school in the world? You can just say the country. It's at 39,000 pupils. Where is the largest... Largest school in the world, thirty-nine thousand pupils. K twelve or post secondary. I'm just giving you schools, just a school. A country? It's it's most likely not post secondary. Is this a country? Just yeah, just say the country. Yeah, these are these. Japan. Nope. Um. Say Sweden, but China. Are, there are there are barely thirty nine thousand. Yeah, I know. Sweden, <laughs> uh, United States. No, I, uh, uh, China. Go, uh, close. India. Ah. India. It's a Montessori school in Lucknow. That is a lot. That of is a lot of pupils. That's a lot. They're almost forty thousand. Okay. That's right. a shame. Well, I think I got one closest to right, so That's, you win. Pretty sure I win the participation you, trophy. Actually, we both get participation trophies. There's, I got well, my my my. Don't chi- worry, my no, China next to fine. India. Okay, you both get participation <laughs> trophies. <laughs> don't don't forget that. That's what's good about being a millennial. Yeah. Oh, you got yeah, one right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. very Here cool. Very okay. cool. Robert Dodd, thank you for your years of service. I'm so That's glad my mom nice. threw out all those. <laughs> all right. Um, Close us out, Robbie. Okay, boys, that was a great episode. Uh, You ready for our special announcement that I teased at the beginning of the show? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, we're excited to announce, Ed's Not Dead is excited to announce the addition of a new segment coming soon called Education Excellence. It's going to be produced by Michael Levin Epstein and Sue Semples. Uh, They're two partners that we're going to have, and we are going to focus and showcase stories of success from schools across the country. You'll hear from educators and administrators about challenges they've overcome uh, with innovative and fresh solutions. So, folks, stay tuned for Education Excellence coming soon. And we thank uh, Mike Levin Epstein and Sue Semples for producing that and partnering with us uh, to bring us that segment in future shows. So, folks, thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.